You are listening to The Pulse, Rod Murray's e-learning tech podcast. COVID Converted Edition Number 1. Introduction to Actionable Tips and Tricks to Teach Online in Real Time. That was a little teaser called Twinkle in the Night by Akash Gandhi. I thought it presents some very relaxing music, meditative music that you might enjoy. So stay for the full song at the end of my podcast. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by D2L. You may know their main product, the Brightspace Learning Management System. I, of course, would only accept sponsorship from companies and products that I am very fond of. So please check out their website at d2l.com slash pulsepodcast to learn more. In the interest of full disclosure, my institution, the University of the Sciences, uses D2L Brightspace, and I've been very impressed with their technology. As always, I'm indebted to Inside Higher Ed for featuring the Pulse Podcast. I also invite you to follow me on Twitter. My handle is Rods Pods. As always, I post links to the things we talk about on my show notes website at www.rodspulsepodcast.com. This episode is an interview with Gary Dietz and Shannon Forte, partners in a new venture to bring teachers affordable, practical techniques to engage learners and deliver effective online instruction. We discuss their workshop. We talk about their background, the need for workshops to teach instructors, the intended audience for the workshops, activities used in the workshop, sensorial approaches to using music, sound, and drawing, the use of video in place of talking heads, using private chat to manage a classroom, the advantages of online over physical classroom, and overcoming obstacles for teachers new to online. You'll find their workshops on padla.org, P-A-D-L-A.org. Padla is the Pennsylvania, Delaware, and New Jersey Distance Learning Association. I encourage you to go to the padla.org website and register for one of their upcoming workshops. Gary and Shannon, I'm so happy to see you today and, and talk to you and really anxious to learn more about your, your program that you're uh, putting on that actually you have put on. Um, why don't you tell my audience a little bit about yourself and where you're located and so on? Shannon, go ahead. Hey, thanks, guys. I'm Shannon Forte. I'm joining you from my home office in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I've been in the ed tech industry since 2006 when Gary and I worked together at Illuminate. That was later purchased by Blackboard and is now the almighty Collaborate. And my ed tech career has taken me through numerous Um, educational technology firms, both little startups and huge uh, companies like D2L and Blackboard all along the way. It's been a focus on helping individuals and institutions convert their brick and mortar physical classroom experience into a successful online experience. Been doing it for many years, really enjoy doing it and have a lot of fun along the way, especially working with Gary. That's great. Gary? Thanks, Shannon and Rod. We really appreciate the uh, opportunity to speak with you guys today. I have a really interesting uh, ed tech and collaboration background. For those of you who've been around for a long time, there used to be a product called CUCME, which was the first internet software-based video conferencing product out of Cornell University. Uh, I'm in southern New Hampshire, and a company called White Pine Software took the commercial rights over to that. 
we converted that into the first instructor-led IP, sort of internet-based instructional system called ClassPoint, which was way too early for the market and wasn't particularly successful. But very ironically, about five or six years later, Illuminate, where I met Shannon, had a product that had essentially the exact same feature set, but the internet was ready for it, and Illuminate was very successful. I've also worked at companies like uh, Mimeo, doing interactive whiteboards and uh, a short-lived product, which was very useful at the time, called Streaming Inc. Uh, I've also um, done some consulting in, in other areas and um, worked with Shannon at Turnitin. Most of my career has been about real-time collaboration and educators, and really as a product manager and a product marketing manager and a trainer, learning what instructors at all levels, what their challenges are. And we've had tons of interesting experiences, both successful and challenging, in helping teachers adapt to this new world, which of course, as you know, has changed dramatically in the past few weeks. That's right. You know, um, it's funny you mentioned CUC me because I actually remember that. I'm probably the only one in my department that has ever heard of it because I'm because of my age, I think. But I remember it's a tiny little screen there, and if you're lucky, if you you got a couple frames that uh, you know didn't uh, didn't pause all the time. But uh, yeah, so so you have both of you have uh, great background for this, and uh, really pleased to to learn more about what you're doing. So um, I know you've uh, put on some workshops, and uh, I think there's some coming up um, uh, called Actionable Tips and Tricks to Teach Online in Real Time. So how did that come about? Why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. Well, one, one uh, honest thing in this real world is um, I've been a little bit underemployed lately and had a, a set of skills that I wanted to share with the world and I chatted with Shannon and we decided to very quickly in, in under a week put together sort of what we would call um, an agile test. We put together the Learn Online Instruction website, reached out to some folks and did a beta test of four classes. Our goal was, as we saw everyone and their mother popping up with instructions about how to get online, whether it's with GoToMeeting or Zoom or WebEx or, or other real-time collaboration products, we saw, and, and I see in my house because I have um, adults in my house that work uh, as direct instructors and school psychologists, saw them really struggling with the idea of differentiating between what the learning management system, the asynchronous component is, and the real-time component is. Not only how to press the buttons and turn the videos on and off, but what actually to do with those products. So Shannon and I whipped up uh, an hour to 90 minute course focused very specifically on teaching instructors at all age levels, frankly, at all developmental levels, how to engage students better. And we're hoping to ensure that instructors can utilize their time and their tools in this trying time in the best way that they can. I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that, Shannon. Yeah, I just, I saw that a real need was present with a lot of teachers, instructors, school psychologists, and roles that had historically thought of online collaborations and online learning as a, oh, well, that would be nice to have. Definitely going to work that out someday. And that nice to have someday turned essentially into do it now, seemingly overnight because of the COVID-19 crisis. I knew that I could help and wanted to help. And it came real obvious that what was available out there in mass for free was how to use the tools to meet online. The gap was 
once the teachers and instructors know which buttons to press, now what? How do I take that experience that I engaged my students and live instruction in that physical classroom and now use this, this technology, this web conferencing, video conferencing tool? I know where the buttons are, but what's next? And that what next, how to translate that four-wall classroom into the video conferencing virtual classroom that translation was missing in all of the free resources and paid resources that we saw out there. So since Gary and I have been doing a lot of that, helping translate that physical classroom into the virtual classroom success, it became a real inspirational opportunity to fit a desperate need with what we have as a tried and true um, cl virtual classroom tested um, instructional activities that we've seen be successful before. So just wanted to add that for, for me, it was seeing a real gap and knowing that we had the skills to fill that gap. Uh, yeah, that's, that's tremendous. I, I see, certainly I see the need uh, at my institution. Uh, like you said, you know, all of our on-ground faculty overnight, uh, had, you know, were thrown into Zoom and, um, you know, we had our hands full just giving them training about, you know, how to push the buttons and so forth. Some faculty are, you know, there's quite a, quite a range of um, capability. Some, some were fine with it, and some have already figured out how to, how to uh, flip their classroom and, um, you, know, you know, have assignments, more like lectures that would be off, you know, online, and then in class they would do activities. But a lot don't. Uh, some of them, mm -hmm. believe it or not, have hardly ever used our learning management system. So um, this is really needed, and I think this will be a really successful program. Um, tell us a little bit more about the, the workshops you're doing. Um, uh, again, is it all audiences, uh, K-12, higher ed, corporate? Yeah. So one of the interesting things that, that I found when you take the level of abstraction at the, at the highest level is that the sort of verbs and nouns of collaboration, whether it's a higher order, collaboration skill or just a basic one seem to me to be parallel whether you're in kindergarten or whether at your whether you're at university level and an example I always use is the breakout room the breakout room is something that works in kindergarten hey I'm the kindergarten teacher four students go around this table another four around that table another four around that table another four around that table they work with their scissors and construction paper come up with a project and then come back to the front of the class to show folks stuff. That exact same model works if you are a group of school psychologists trying to brainstorm a solution to a particular, particularly challenging uh, set of students in your classroom. It works in a physics classroom in the university. It's, a, it's that idea of sort of real-time collaboration amongst small groups coming together and then presenting and learning together. And that works at all levels. And I think there are many other examples in the collaboration frameworks that really the only thing that differs, whether you're, whether you're working with um, the spe special needs high school students, whether you're working with typically developing middle students, whether you're working with professional development, even if you're working in a corporate environment, these kinds of interactions remain um, uniquely human and the same. The only thing that differs is perhaps the vocabulary, the content, the speed, and maybe the end game of the particular educational unit but very parallel across all ages and abilities. Yeah, and I would just expand to say that much of 
what we are, the skills that we are instilling on our audience is the ability to engage a variety of different kinds of people from a variety of different skill levels and backgrounds. And that's part of why we bring to the workshop a variety of different kinds of instructional activities. Because we know that the the needs, the personalities, the quirks that those students have between the four walls, they're going to bring those same quirks personalities and needs to the virtual classroom as well. So that ability for our workshop to reach the diverse needs of various presenters in various professional capacities is similar to how when you're in that physical, in that virtual classroom, the moderator needs to engage a variety of different kinds of learners and participants. So that's something that we keep top of mind throughout the workshop and something that we help you understand and learn how to manage in that virtual space. So, so I imagine you, uh, you, you model those activities in your workshop, right? Do you, you have, uh, you have breakout uh, groups then? And we do, we do. When we first did the one hour workshop as that sort of agile beta test that Gary described, we did short quick instructional activities around a formative, assess- a formative assessment sort of feel. In the upcoming workshops where we've expanded to an hour and a half, we do those same instructional activities, but we've added a breakout room component to really feel and experience what we're actually talking about. So participants will in addition to learning how to manage that breakout room experience to mimic the physical classroom, they'll have a chance to feel it for themselves and go into their classrooms more confident having been through that experience mm-hmm. in two different breakout sessions during our upcoming workshop. Yeah, and I think depending on the timing and the comfort level of those that join us, we may in fact um, uh, ask somebody to raise their hand and come and actually run one of the activities that we would normally run in the workshop and have them run it for everyone else so that they can model how they might do it. And that's going to depend, again, on the comfort level and the experience of the people coming into the session. We're going to play it by ear and have a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it does sound like and, um, be a lot and of fun. Just one other point on that. We are, we are presenting this workshop for people who are new to the online learning and online collaboration experience. Maybe they've had meetings, but they've never had to actually teach it. So this is going to be for novice and maybe some early um, folks who are just learning it for the first time. This workshop for folks like me and Gary, who know virtual collaboration like the back of our hands and can do it in our virtual sleep, it's not for those expert level instructors. This would be maybe some review or spark some creative ideas how they can be more interactive. But just to be clear, the workshop's going to be most valuable for people who are in that situation where remote learning was a uh, thought about something that they would do when the timing is right and got forced into the do it now situation. Right. Uh, tell us a little bit more about some other kinds of activities that uh, instructors, um, faculty might use in an online environment. Feel free, Shannon. Go ahead. So my my approach to this that I've seen work in the virtual classrooms is bringing a sensorial approach to the activities 
making things visually appealing, tapping into the auditory senses, getting kinesthetic with it. So a few of the activities that we're going to share in the workshop is around using music and sound as a way to engage a different kind of learner, provide a, a unique learning experience and tapping those senses that you maybe wouldn't have normally uh, tapped into. For instance, it's pretty obvious that music is going to be an important part of a music class. But in the workshop, we discuss and share ideas about using music as an instructional activity in any sort of subject, any sort of skill level or grade level. Then sensorially speaking, we also talk about using things like uh, coll collaborative images or even a Pictionary game where you're drawing, you're being kinesthetic and drawing out a picture on a virtual whiteboard while the rest of the audience guesses in the chat and makes guesses as to what they're drawing. So it's collaborative, it's sensor sensorial, and really broadens those learning experiences beyond PowerPoint and lecture combo. Yeah, and one of the things that is my favorite thing to talk about is different ways to use video. Right now we're doing sort of the, the chest up to the head. That's what everyone thinks a webcam is for. But there are other ways to use video in instructional ways. Uh, we were talking about sens sensorial, kinesthetic. One of the things that I like to do is aim the camera at something else, describe to neophytes that they can use other kinds of video input devices, whether it is a document camera or a digital microscope, or even just taking the external camera either for the student or for the instructor and do some interesting things. And one of the things I do in the, in the workshop, I don't want to give away too much, is I use a scissors, tape, and um, paper to do a little project where the camera is not aimed at my face, but aimed at the project. And it really drives home the idea that in the learning management system, you may have prepared the students themselves with these materials and instructions. And then during the real-time session, you can do things together, just like you could in the real world, by not aiming your camera at your face. You're aiming your camera at your hands and your particular project. It'll be interesting and a lot of fun. And I think really um, one of Shannon and my goals is to really poke the neurons of the instructors to take these things and apply them in other ways that make much more sense to their particular classrooms and students. Uh, that's an interesting uh, take. Yeah, it's more like uh, having a lab, you know, uh, Exactly. There's a lot of talk around that these days about uh, how do you teach a, a lab course uh, online? You know, they talk about uh, virtual, some virtual labs, but I, I could, I could see even with these, um, some science uh, departments around the country are using, um, you know, these lab kits. And uh, it just occurred to me that that would be a wonderful way to, to do it. You know, the instructor could, uh, could you know, open up the lab kit on their kitchen table and have the camera shooting at it. They give a little yeah. pre-lab instruction and um, students could share their tips and tricks and how to, how to use the lab. Yeah, cool. and Rod, that, that um, framework that you just talked about points out something really interesting to me that I've been pointing out for years is that these real-time virtual environments provide both an opportunity to do things you couldn't do in the real world but also provide some challenges when you take away some things you can no longer do in the real world. One example I like to use is, and I don't have this necessarily set up, I'd love to see some university do it, but the idea that you can have access, and it happens with some organizations and museums and um, 
observatories, but the idea that you can have real-time access to a telescope or real-time access to an electron microscope visually uh, from remote locations. Now, that takes a lot of setup, but mm. the idea is that you can have a $99 USB microscope and do that within a particular um, virtual classroom so that in the case where even in the even in the physical world, the school may not have enough microscopes. It's hard to have 30 students look into one or two microscopes at the same time in a lab. Yet in the virtual world, you can use the digital microscope, share it, and if the facility even supports it, have, you can have remote control of the microscope. But that's a little more sophisticated. The high-level idea is that there's always an opportunity to do something you couldn't do in the physical classroom that might give an advantage. Obviously, it's always better to have a real teacher in a physical space with a real student. Sure. I mean, we're not, we're not denigrating that particular point, but when you have to do it remotely, it's the world is more, the virtual online real-time world is more than just, you know, talking heads. Yeah. It's funny it that, that, that uh, uh, reminded me of one of my questions uh, I was going to ask is, you know, what, what are some of the, uh, the benefits and drawbacks of online? And, and you, you, you mentioned them uh, right there. There's some things you can do online. You can't do in, real life and and uh, and vice versa so what what are some are there other uh advantages to doing online that you can't do in person one thing i see is using the chat and the private chat as a classroom management tool that can be superior to a physical classroom of raising your hand and sharing so learners who uh, may be shy or lack confidence in their answer for any number of reasons that they may not want to speak up in a class, but they want to participate. So having a chat, especially a private chat, enables that learner who's shy or lacks confidence to be able to participate in a way that feels safer in um, its autonomy so that they can privately chat directly to the instructor. That I've seen bring shy and reserved introverted students more to the interaction than they would have in a physical classroom. So that private chat can be a really powerful tool as well as polls where this, this tool that we're in now, Zoom has a polling tool. And it's just a way to give a, a anonymous insight to the teacher or to um, the class and let your voice be heard without having to stamp your name on it and draw attention to yourself. That's, yeah, that's one of many ways. Yeah, Gary, your thoughts? Yeah, that's a, that's a really excellent point. And, and Rob, there's, there's, there's even some more subtle things that happen that have had personal experience. Um, as you know, my son has multiple disabilities and I found when he was younger, um, being able to do things on the touch screen, which can also be app shared and, and enter the virtual world, uh, would allow him to participate in a way and allows other students to participate in ways they might not be able to in the physical classroom. And I've also seen certain students on the autism spectrum, and this is not, a nothing's ever 100%, but I've, um, I know personally uh, some individuals who were able to better engage both um, verbally and visually with other peers in, the, in the, the classroom with typically developing students because they weren't physically in the same classroom. They had less sensory overwhelming issues. Mm -hmm. And so this may be something to study or look at um, when the world gets more back to normal 
uh, in a typical classroom about how to facilitate that better. But in a virtual classroom, on some occasions, students can actually interact in some ways better because of less sensory overload and only having to interact with the, the screen and the microphone. Again, I don't want to say that this is a panacea, but it's certainly something that individual instructors should look at with their specific students and see if that, in fact, can be a benefit for them. Interesting. Yeah. And let me throw yeah. one other way that the virtual classroom can have some advantages over the physical classroom. Because part of what Gary and I want to do is help those people who are forced into this feel some level of confidence and comfort. So using the permission ability within your video conferencing platform, knowing how to turn people's microphone and webcams off for them can be especially helpful if you are teaching to a younger audience, elementary, middle type environment, because the students are excited and they're curious and they're engaged and they're going to start showing too much. They're going to show their pet snake like my son did during his um, class time. Um, they're going to be taking over the microphone, sharing their desktop. And so for teachers who are engaging younger students, learn your permission controls and learn how to evoke some actions that students have um, engaged as a way to have actually more control of your virtual classroom than you may have enjoyed even in your physical classroom. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, it occurs to me that students are probably much uh, more adept at, and uh, used to this environment. After all, they're on their phones all the time, at least the older students, well, actually the younger students too. What, um, what, what are the main um, issues you've seen with teachers and faculty um, adapting to this? What, what, what are their fears and what are the things they worry about? Do you have some idea about that? Yeah, I think, uh, I think one word is, is preparation. I know because they're in my house doing it now, um, and I um, I accidentally overhear other instructors from around my out my region uh, asking these questions all the time. It's about it's about preparation. Um, while our workshop isn't necessarily about learning a specific tool, whether it's Google Classrooms or Hangouts or Zoom or GoToMeeting or WebEx or any one of a dozen other real time products, um, it is in fact an important thing to look at your university or your district or your organization's IT department and training department to understand the capabilities of the particular system that you use because they differ across systems. I think preparation is key. And then the next level of sort of collaboration capability is built upon those capabilities that you know how to turn on, turn off, and use. What Shannon and I are trying to get across with our activities is not hey, here's how you do this on Zoom or here's how you do this on WebEx, but rather here are some frameworks in which you can engage and be interactive with your students during the times that you have that real-time component with those students. So preparation, I think, is, is key, and that's true even in your real classroom. And unfortunately, it does add another layer of complexity upon an instructor or a school psychologist or other staff member a little more complexity on their day if they have to catch up because they haven't done it in the past. But unfortunately, it is something that sort of has to bring everybody to a certain baseline before you can do the higher order collaboration skills. Yeah, you know, that, that uh, also reminds me that the, the pressure on teachers, maybe it's especially in K-12 where um, maybe the school district says uh, to, to satisfy uh, department of ed requirements, you, you you have to be online for X number of hours and 
there's some pressure there, especially if it's, you know, uh, continuous hours. I mean, how, how, how long can you get, you know, students, especially younger ones, you know, sitting in front of a, uh, you know, keep them engaged sitting in front of a uh, machine. So uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Is that something that you've, uh, you've heard? Well, I've heard this in my, in my household just this week. Um, I won't mention the name of the school district, but uh, I just heard through a friend that there was now a new requirement that the, um, the younger students have to be online in real time with a teacher uh, three hours continuously. And um, I think that's not a correct model. Is that in one day? Three hours continuously in the same day? It's yeah, just, I, I, just, yeah. I just heard that there, there, was an, there was an edict that went around, and I'm hoping I misunderstood it. Because how many of us in the business world or the professional world have, how can you possibly sit in front of a, of a computer and interact for three hours, much less any level of student, probably all, but well, any level of student. And I think a better model would be, and I think what they're trying to do is uh, really admirable, which is map to the state and federal regulations the best way that they can. I think a more interesting model might be to break it down into three one-hour chunks throughout the day, utilizing offline materials, self-study, et cetera, and doing check-ins. And even that might be challenging. But um, I think that depending on the level of the student and their capabilities, um, we're going to have to do some interesting advocacy um, across organizations to explain how these things can be done. But I do want to point out that I, that I appreciate that there's this, there's this real challenge of existing state and federal regulations and our sort of our new reality where everybody is remote and we're going to, we're going to have some growing pains along the way. And I think this is one of them. Yeah. I think departments of education are going to have to have to change. I mean, this has been an issue ever since we started teaching online is, is how do you translate the, uh, especially in higher ed, you know, the, uh, uh, the time in seat, you know, uh, how do you translate that to, you know, in terms of credit hours, how do you translate those activities online? And maybe that's behind what uh, these uh, districts we'll, are trying to do. I, I agree. And, and I really empathize with those who say, I mean, this, this brings up so many issues about, um, economic impact and about having parents who can actually do the help versus can't do the help or whether you're in a, in a university where, where a particular student is extremely self-motivated and another one that is not as self-motivated, there's going to be all sorts of challenges. And I know, and I recognize them and I don't, I don't have any answers to them where, you know, some students aren't even going to show up to the virtual sessions. And I've heard that from other school districts where the infrastructure is there, but the students either have the hardware, don't have the hardware, don't have the bandwidth, or they have three students in the house and they can't all do it at the same time. And they're in different grades, but they can't all be online at the same time because of the bandwidth to the house. Lots and lots of incredible challenges okay. that have a super amount of respect for administrators and teachers that are trying to work this out. And it has an impact on the kinds of collaboration, both real-time and offline collaboration that can be done. And, you know, this is the whole new world now that we've scaled it to almost everybody doing it. Really? Well, you know, guys, uh, this has been great. I, I want to be respectful of your time um, and my audience's time. So are there any um, closing words you'd like to, to say uh, to my audience about uh, these topics? Yeah, I would just uh, encourage 
folks to join because what we're finding is that after the session, the participants are remarking that they do feel more confident that they're going to be able to engage in ways that are instructionally sound. That's a challenge that teachers that are thrown into this are facing. They know the buttons, they know the program, but now what? And we are absolutely happy to fill in that now take that platform and here's some great ideas for instructional activities that map to the physical classroom. And that's gonna bring you more confidence. You're gonna be able to go into meeting your learners with some real experience, having been through the workshop and empowered with some real practical applications to use immediately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm excited to meet people from across the, the country and other countries as well, because Shannon and I are constantly learning great tips and tricks from other people. And I am always walking away from all of these sessions with a, a newfound respect for how hard it is to be an instructor. And I'm also walking away with a newfound respect, especially for those instructors who are doing things that are, um, I don't want to say non-standard, but are not in a typically developing classroom. The school psychologists, how can you administer tests and can you ethically administer tests remotely and does it change the testing conditions or special ed teachers having to engage individuals or small groups or school psychologists these are activities that are on it's where it's unusually important to be personal and engaging and draw somebody in to a personal interaction that has either educational or psychological or developmental underpinnings and i think that some of the tools that we are showing, I shouldn't say tools, some of the techniques that we are showing, I would love to see and learn in the future how they're applied to those very, very challenging situations in addition to the typically developing classrooms you know, at all levels, not to mention from a professional development point of view. I have been in many companies and many meetings and many collaborative meetings that have been this one-to-many broadcast. I'm going to speak, you're going to watch my slides. And that is not what Shannon and I are teaching. In fact, we're going to show you the times when that's appropriate and how to do that and the times when it's not and how to engage. So we're really excited to have um, Padla support us through this and the sponsors of Padla support us through this. And we're extremely excited to both teach and to learn. And Rod, thank you for the opportunity. Well, thank you. This has been great. I think it's uh, enlightening uh, to me and I think uh, my audience is going to enjoy it. So. Uh, Again, uh, best wishes and uh, look forward to uh, seeing much more from, from you and about you. Thank you, Rod. You, you stay healthy, guys. Yes, you Thanks too. Thanks a stay lot. Safe. Be safe. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. That's it for this episode. I encourage you to go to the Padla website, padla.org, and check out the workshops. And also stay tuned for the full song, Twinkle in the Night. Thanks for listening. Until next time, have a great week.
That's it for today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to give Rod feedback. You can leave comments on his blog or send email to rod at rodspulsepodcast.com. The preceding audio commentary is the product of the author, Dr. Rodney Murray, and does not represent the official viewpoint of the University of the Sciences or any other institution or company. Yeah.